Welcome to season three of Overcoming Working Mum Burnout. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Kerr, mum, behavior scientist, and burnout survivor. I interview DEI leadership and mental health experts to uncover burnout solutions at the individual, family, work, and cultural levels. When mums thrive, the world benefits. Like me, are you passionate about helping other women leaders and frustrated by the status quo for women at work? Are you disappointed by the band-aids we're applying to problems like bias and burnout, which affect women's ability to rise? Women are spending more time on these issues, but are not being rewarded or recognized for this work. And when women try to suggest systems solutions, their ideas are dismissed. In When Women Lead, Julia Borston showed that VC-backed successful women leaders are disruptive. Instead of the quick fixes preferred by men, they see both the forest and the trees and get to the root cause of problems. I want to give women the confidence and credibility to lead in this way and to build upon their intuition with science-backed leadership strategies. The five evidence-based strategies for my science are leading through complexity with compassion, using the social ecological model to solve macro and micro problems, leading with impact, using behavior change science to create systems change, leading with insight, using implementation science to create the conditions for successful cultural change, leading with curiosity, using peer learning collaboratives to support experimenting, and leading with clarity, managing burnout so you and those you lead can thrive through change. In conjunction with my leadership training, I'm facilitating small groups of women executives in peer learning collaboratives. This is a scientific process that's used in medicine when important new recommendations need to be put into practice and there is likely to be pushback. Peer learning collaboratives leverage the supportive environment of group coaching, but with more targeted goals, greater accountability, and a quality improvement process that measures impact through learning cycles. They provide a safe environment for women to put their new skills and strategies into action while learning from other women leading similar change efforts in their organizations. Does this resonate with you? Would it help women you know? Please message me on LinkedIn if you'd like to learn more. In this week's episode, I'm learning from Alison Butler, Chief Wellness Officer and creator of the program, The Energy Answer. Certified in mental health first aid, Alison shares how to go beyond recognizing problems to actually practicing self-care and setting boundaries. She talks about moving from saying to doing in organizations, starting by creating psychologically safe cultures, but also through role modeling by leaders at all levels. I hope you learn as much from this conversation as I did. My name is Allison Butler. I am from Eastern Canada and I am a mom of two, currently ages 10 and 6. My title is Chief Wellness Officer, and I am a mental health advocate and well-being supporter. Great. Thank you so much. 
So let's start with you describing a little bit more the journey to where you are now in your career. And I know so many mums, this is not straightforward. So I'm looking forward to how you got here. Absolutely. It has been a very interesting journey, that's for sure, and was definitely not at all in the plans, let's say. So I spent the early part of my career, my original background is in business. I was working in the nonprofit industry for about 15 years as a speaker and a trainer. And I really loved that role. I was passionate about it. And the work environment was very busy, as it tends to be in many not-for-profit organizations. And about six years ago, after the birth of my second child. When I went back to work, I was struggling. I was really struggling. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more. (laughs) But I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety. And actually, you know, once I got past the initial sort of surprise of that, I was actually very happy about it because it really forced me to take a look at my own well-being in a different way. And I've always been really interested in well-being and what that looks like in the workplace from all different sort of facets. I actually have a master's degree in employment relations, human resources in that field. And in my previous role, I was very focused in my speaking and training on occupational health and well-being, but I didn't have that lived experience. I wasn't telling my own story in that role. And suddenly when I had my own diagnosis and my mental health all of a sudden felt like it was turned upside down, I just knew that I wanted to do the work that was focused more in that area. And so it was a very natural transition for me to move from the work that I was doing then into the work that I'm doing now. And so I completely changed my career to become a mental health first aid trainer and to do the other types of work that I do now, working with individuals and workplaces to help support mental well-being. That's great. And I agree that the lived experience definitely can help you. I think so many people, when they're going through it, it feels such a negative experience. But actually, so many of us, as we come out the other side, or not even out the other side, but even just learn how to manage it within our lives, we can use it to help others. So I definitely can relate to that experience. So let's go into a little bit more what that experience was like. You used the words depression and anxiety. So if you can give us the context of what that is in relationship to burnout so that people can either understand the differences or where you maybe see this similar and what people might be feeling in this moment that they can start to recognize And I find this intersection between burnout and depression, anxiety, really interesting. It's really only now, in hindsight, that I can really clearly see that a lot of what I was experiencing was likely burnout connected. I was really exhausted all the time. I was very irritable. 
I just had no energy or motivation for the things that I was interested in. And now the term that resonates with me a lot that I hear a lot of people use to describe their feelings is that feeling of numbness, just this general lack of caring and tired, so tired, really low energy. And people would say to me, Allison, you're doing too much, or you have so much on your plate. You just need to slow down. And the thing that I always say to people, the piece that resonated for me the most was deep down, we know ourselves and I'm really self-aware. Many people have told me that. I think my self-awareness has helped me so much along this journey because at the end of the day, no matter what other people were saying to me, I know myself and I knew that what I was experiencing wasn't my version of normal. And I didn't have any labels for it at that time. It had no name. When I was in the thick of it, nothing about my symptoms made sense to me. I felt very physically unwell, which is a really common symptom or sign. And other people didn't necessarily see it. For me, it was a really internal thing and I had to be really aware. But I recognized that because I was such a high performer at my work, and I took my job really seriously and I wanted to be really great at it. But because I was expending extra energy there to try to keep things together, I was for sure my worst at home when I was coming home to my family and I really had nothing left. So in terms of the official diagnosis, now when I look back, <laughs> generalized depression and anxiety was my doctor diagnosis at the time. And I rolled with that. I do think that uh, burnout is maybe less diagnosed. I was certainly experiencing a lot of things and they all can overlap each other. That was the beginning of my journey. I didn't have the names. I didn't understand those signs. To me, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. It might to others. But for me on my journey, it was just understanding the signs that I needed to work on my mental well-being and I needed to make changes in my life so that I could do those things. And maybe that will resonate with others. I think it is helpful to hear the experience as much as to hear the words of a diagnosis, because it's not necessarily that the doctor's going to go, here's the cure for burnout. <laughs> anyway, so I agree, just knowing how it feels. I think a lot of people describe these feelings of resentment, feelings of brain fog, of manic energy in some ways, not just low energy, your brain never shutting down. In each guest that I interview, hearing their experience, I think some of it can help resonate or the accumulation of all the guests' experiences helps people to understand, okay, I'm not alone in how I feel. <laughs> Yes. And I did have the brain fog as well. That was a really frustrating one for me, actually. And sometimes it was more of just a kind of focus thing. Like I had a really difficult time focusing and that had never been an issue for me before. 
if you could imagine in a really busy work environment where I was responsible for so many different things, as is often the case in these types of career roles. And we worked really collaboratively. This was pre-COVID in person. And it was this open office environment where we all were collaborating and speaking to each other. I just was starting to find that every time I got interrupted, which was constantly with the emails and the phone and other people needing or wanting something from me. And I was a fairly senior employee there at the time as well with a lot of years of experience and people would lean on me for that. So just the constant interruptions and then trying to bring my brain back to the task that I was trying to do was really frustrated. Exactly. Not having those times for deep thought or just even continuous thought. And I think a lot of mums can relate to that with the interruptions that we have at the moment. And you still can be trying to put in the hours, but if they're not uninterrupted hours, your brain just can't shift. It can't get into that groove of actually achieving something. So it's so challenging. So tell us a little bit about how motherhood interacted with this. You had mentioned that you weren't then your best self at home. And suddenly that's how I felt that I wasn't great at home, but because some people I know feel that yes, work's an escape for them. And that's helpful if they're struggling at home or vice versa, work's not so great, but at least home's a relief. My situation was I was crying on the way to work and on the way home because both places I felt so inadequate. Motherhood has been a huge piece of this journey for me. And I really didn't feel like I was a good version of me at home. I actually think that my family was getting the worst version of me just because that irritability, I think that was where that really showed up when you're a little bit more relaxed. I just didn't feel like anyone was getting a good piece of me. Motherhood is such a huge change in and of itself, isn't it? I don't know that anything really prepares us. Before I had children, I was really career focused as so many of us um, are. I was working. I have a lot of my own interests. So I was building my own projects on the side. And I, I love my children. My children have added so much to my life. I think that they are my greatest teachers in so many ways. After I had my first child, my daughter, it really forced me to look at my work-life harmony. <laughs> what was working, what wasn't, as I tried to create some sort of balance with those two things. But it really wasn't until after I had my son, my second child, that things really started to happen. I think that's when the burnout or all these symptoms that I was having really started to kick in. And it has really forced me to figure out what are my priorities in my life? Because I did not feel good. I knew that no matter what label gets put on it, what the symptoms were, I knew that I did not feel good. And a guiding idea for me throughout the last six or seven years on this journey has been, do I want to go around feeling like a shell of myself? 
Or do I want to feel like a good version of myself? And that has been for me, for my children, for my spouse. I've really chosen to make changes and do the work that allows me to find this better harmony between motherhood, career, self-care, all of these things that are important to me. And that's been very liberating for me. That's great. And I think, again, we can all feel it differently in terms of you didn't feel good or like a shell of yourself. I just started to not like myself. And so I owned that. I was like, if I don't like who I am, who do I want to be? And what does this mean? I want to be calmer mom. I want to be a more thoughtful parent. I want to be a less demanding boss or all these things. I think that's a really good way to describe it in terms of you're forced to prioritize what are your values and the things that you want to lead with. Yeah. And this didn't happen overnight, right? Like this has been a process for me over quite a few years now. But I see so many people that are just pushing some of these things aside or trying to power through. And I think it eventually catches up with us. I appreciate also describing how long it takes because I'm probably four years in now and I still have struggles and I'm still trying to find what it is that's going to fill me with the energy that, you know, I think I can find if I get a good match. And yeah, it takes time. It's not an overnight process and there's a lot of experimenting. So let's get to the program that you've developed based on your experience in your career and then also just based on, as you mentioned in your description, this mental health first aid and how that can potentially help people, but how you've gone beyond that. Yeah, just to give a little bit more detail behind it, after I embraced, okay, this is where I am now. I knew that I wanted to use my background and my experience to teach others about mental well-being. And so the first thing that I did was I went and looked for what's an existing training program out there that I could potentially become certified to instruct. And that led me to become a mental health first aid trainer. And for anyone who is not as familiar with mental health first aid, it is a certificate training program that is available in over 20 countries around the world. So I am certified to train in Canada, but it is also in the US and many other countries. So if anyone is curious to learn more about that, you can just Google (laughs) mental health first aid and your country to find out more about that. And I love that training program. I genuinely believe it is a fabulous kind of introductory learning step for leaders, managers, community builders, service providers, anyone who's working one-on-one with clients, because it really teaches some practical skills about how we have conversations around mental health. It's a fabulous program. And I have actually been teaching that program virtually since the beginning of the pandemic, which is really fabulous. So that was the beginning of the journey. And it's a great introduction. And From there, I started looking at, okay, this is a great starting point 
what else am I seeing that people need support with? And there was quite a few things. Uh, One of the things was self-care and that overarching theme of how do we look after ourselves when it feels like there's no time? And that was something that I really saw people struggling with a lot. It sounds so simple, but in the reality of our kind of day-to-day, many of us, especially if we're feeling burned out, don't really prioritize ourselves and our well-being. So that was one piece. And then the second piece was just around this overwhelm, stress management, and burnout, or at least like the early stages of burnout that I was seeing so many people struggle with. And it's interesting because in the beginning, I thought to myself, there's so many trainings and presentations out there in the world about managing our stress, but yet it doesn't really seem to be making that much of a difference for people. So many people are just overwhelmed And I started taking my business skills, my human resources skills, my knowledge from my own life, the background that I now had from teaching hundreds and thousands of participants in mental health first aid. And I created this program. I call it the energy answer that's around working on these skills, but making it really personal and working on it over a period of several months. Because one of the big challenges that I see is that we sit in a one-hour presentation and someone tells us how to manage our stress. And it all sounds really good. But then we go about our days and our weeks and we just revert back to the things that we always do. And I really wanted to help people work on these skills, figure out what works for them and what doesn't work for them, and then practice the skills in their own life so that we can work on preventing further stages of burnout, which is so important, especially right now, especially right now. And I love that you describe it like that, because I think we see the same in all sorts of areas where a single training literally maybe changes your awareness, but it doesn't develop skills. And even if you do then have a skill-based session that really identifies specific behaviors, you can't have skills if you don't know what are the behaviors I actually need to change. But then any of our behavior change interventions, it's always several weeks because you have to try it. Quite often what happens is people go, okay, I got this. I understand it. I got this. And you go out, you're all confident. You go out and you try it and you go, oh my goodness, I had no idea how hard this was going to be. And so you, you come back with less motivation and less confidence. And so then you have to build that back up again with the reality of the challenges, but then learning how to problem solve and overcome barriers. And like you say, finding out which ones work and practice, because it does take a while to develop all sorts of habits take a while, but these ones that are particularly challenging because of the context in which we're having to work, either it's in our home life or in our work life, it can be really challenging because these skills are 
acted upon with other people and other priorities around us. It is so complex. It's not just the same as saying, okay, I'm going to give up coffee. Yes, there can be coffee all around you that could be frustrating and the smells are tempting you, but it's not the same as these more complex. Absolutely. And it is so complex. And I think that many of us just don't take the time to really think about it. One small piece of the program is that I encourage people to dig down and name the feelings behind that overarching umbrella of stress, right? Can we understand what feelings we're experiencing when we are having these responses to things? Can we start to learn what triggers these feelings and emotions for us, which is going to be different for everyone. And then can we become aware of that and understand what do I have control over here? What do I not have control over? How do all these things interplay in my work life and my home life? It's just things that we aren't necessarily taught out there in the working world or spend much time thinking about. And so can we circle a little bit back to part of the premise of the mental health first aid, which is how do we have a conversation about this? Because I think that's where we're at in a lot of companies is starting to be aware that our employees are experiencing this stress or experiencing burnout. And I feel like managers are stuck in the middle in some ways here in terms of they're seeing the stress and the experience of their employees, and they're trying to do as much as they can to support their employees. But they're also getting the pressure from the sweet suite above on performance. So I feel like they're definitely a group that I've heard that are a breaking point as well. And if they're the ones maybe that are starting to try and have these conversations, what are the tips there that you have? Yeah, absolutely. There's so much to this and we go into it in depth in the mental health first aid, but a huge skill, and it sounds maybe so simplistic, but I think it's often the hardest thing is we really talk about those listening skills. How do we really listen to someone? And I also think when we're listening, it's to listen to what people are not saying out loud and really breaking down how we respond to someone who might open up to us or share things with us. How do we respond to that in a way that's appropriate. And the other really important piece that I think is part of the mental health first aid is it brings a greater understanding to some of the more common mental health challenges that we see in the workplace, like depression and anxiety. And I train a lot of managers and leaders in the program. And Something that I sort of anecdotally hear from a lot of people is along the lines of, wow, I thought that I understood mental health and what it is or what it isn't, but the training has been really eye-opening for me. I think no matter what, a lot of people have preconceived ideas. Maybe if someone presents at work differently 
we may have a difficult time understanding that. So I think the understanding, the empathy, the listening skills, and the how to respond are, are really important pieces of the mental health first aid training program that can really start teaching us those skills, but we have to be willing to put it into practice. And that can take some courage as well, because it is definitely not easy or not always easy to have conversations with someone about mental health if it's not something that we're doing all the time. So practice is again, maybe the recurring theme of our conversation, but so important. So what does this type of training look like in companies? And as you say, you're training a lot of managers. So what are you seeing are some of the barriers in workplaces and what are the things that are making these programs successful in the workplaces that you work with? Oh, that's a great question. I think one of the barriers that seems to come up is just the time resources or the financial resources. That's probably the barriers to many different types of training. And really, I think it comes down to prioritizing the mental well-being or supporting the mental well-being of your people as an organization. And mental health challenges are on the rise. And from that, we see in the workplace increased absenteeism, an impact on productivity, potentially additional like sick leave costs. There's a bottom line impact there for employers turnover. And I'm hearing that already from certain types of industries, people that I have conversations with. And so if you look at the cost of training people and caring about people, and not just to check a box, but to actually start making changes from a leadership perspective. And that's more of a psychological health and safety, like psychological culture. That could be a whole other podcast episode that you do. I think it's really important to prioritize. And I do see some companies who are training their entire workforce, which is fabulous right? From the leadership right through to every manager or sometimes everyone on the entire team, which I think is so beautiful because the more we all know how to communicate and support one another, the more we can. But yeah, any business that thinks that mental health is not impacting their company is silly. And my understanding is they're not measuring its impact. So they could be still living in denial about it because they're not seeing, okay, how many people are burnt out and what is its impact? Obviously they can be seeing things like turnover, but how many companies are actually doing exit interviews to understand what could have happened along the way. And I think too, sometimes it is, it's like by that stage, you're so burnt out and done with it that you don't necessarily even feel in a good place to give helpful feedback or to be able to identify what could have been done along the way. So yeah, it definitely can be challenging. If I can, I'll share a little story that I recently heard from someone. It's difficult to measure too, the cost of lost productivity 
right? I was speaking with a manager a while back and she said someone left, likely due to mental health. And she said it was only when that person left that we discovered that there was all these things that weren't being done or weren't being done correctly or had been left. And there's so many of these little pieces of things that that need to go into the equation, right? Then someone else has to pick up new hires or something that I'm seeing happening a lot here is existing employees then have to take on more and more. So it just creates this cycle of burnout culture, right? Where the root causes are not necessarily being addressed. So what would you see as those root causes and how is your work trying to address those? I think sometimes it depends on the organization, not putting enough resources into helping employees understand their own stressors. I think a lot of workplaces, and while I think it's fabulous for them to have wellness programs like gym memberships and healthy eating workshops and employee assistance programs and all, these are all really important pieces. However, so important to be able to look at job roles and outputs and are we expecting our employees to be on 24 seven. If I send you an email at 11 PM, do I expect you to respond? So from a culture perspective, I think that often times organizations, they have things in place that look good on paper, but from a culture perspective, people are working more and more. So part of what I have been trying to do with the energy answer and with programs that I have been creating is to really help people get to that root of their own stress, right? We can't necessarily change the whole organization as an employee or as a middle manager, right? Depending on the organization, we may not have necessarily the power to make that happen, but we can work on Supporting our own selves, how we create boundaries is a really great one that a lot of people work on fairly extensively in the program. And how do you create those professional boundaries and personal boundaries in our lives within the scope of our job roles, all of those kinds of things. It's like a dance. And this is just something that I'm so passionate about. We can't necessarily change everything about the world or about the organization that we work in, but we have a lot of control over ourselves and how we respond. And I think that's a skill that many of us haven't really been taught. Yeah, it is interesting that change can come from individuals changing as well as from organized changing and really a bit of both a bottom up and a top down approach. And I'm wondering, because I definitely know other companies where it's that sense of let's subsidize this, let's put it out, make it external to the company. This is a problem we don't want to solve. And I'm thinking that when you then are having those conversations about the root causes of your stress, then then employees are going, oh, yeah, it's partly this or that thing at work. How do we give people the skills if that's their employee's model is a outsourcing of this rather than facing the internal issues. How do we help employees 
bring that back to start to change the internal or how do we shift leaders into thinking yes my employees need some support but we need to do some internal work too do you have thoughts about like how we can shift into that because I think again depending on where they are as an organization that first step to make it external makes sense right you outsource to get the resources and the knowledge you don't have in-house but how do we make that more impactful on the internal side too yeah that's a great question I really think that as an organization or a business we have to care about people and that has to come in the whole organization or from the top down. We can't just say, okay, now we care about your mental health. We have to be able to show it in the actions that we do. But I think organizations have to be willing to say, okay, we need to look at what's working and what isn't working. And we need to be willing to listen to people and see what's working and what's not working. And sometimes I feel like it's just that let's check that mental health box, right? Okay. We're going to put people through some training, check, and then it's forgotten about. No, I want to see this be the beginning of larger conversations of listening to what people need, of really caring about wellness. I can't think about what you're doing as planting these seeds, at least in the employees, that they can start to affect their team, their own environment, their own boundaries. And there are ripple effects of that. Absolutely. And I was actually using this example yesterday. I was saying, if you are a manager within an organization, how you demonstrate your own mental wellness absolutely has a trickle effect. If you show other people that you're creating boundaries around your work life and your home life, all of these things, if you are open about supporting your own mental well-being, All of these things, I think, can have maybe a lot more of an impact than we even think. Yeah, because I think role models in those levels, role models in the C-suite would be fantastic too, because it gives you permission to do those things for yourself. But also if that person who's super busy can prioritize this, so can I. So it has both effects, really. Let's say I'm a manager. And I like to stay on top of my work. And maybe I'm not a mother and I don't have children at home. Maybe I log back into work at 9 or 10 p.m. and start responding to emails to feel like I'm getting ahead. I don't encourage that ever. But we know that lots of people out there have that personality in the workplace. Okay. Maybe my expectation is, oh, I'm just doing this for myself to get myself feeling better, to feel like I have checked things off my list. I don't ever expect anyone to respond, right? Let's just say that's my mindset about how I do my work. If I'm the leader of a team, not modeling good boundaries, and I'm not communicating with my team about good boundaries, you get that email at 10 p.m. And then depending on your personality and your boundaries, 
perhaps feel like you need to respond. So I really do feel like this leading by example or really open communication about mental well-being and expectations can have a profound effect. But we often don't take the time to think about those things, right? How do my actions impact others? And I think that too, it can be the situation if you've been a mom who's had to go home and pick up the kids and leave early to do that. Then sometimes you are the person that's getting back on after bedtime to send those emails. So we can be part of that creating that stress for others because of how we want that flexibility to be able to do that. But then when do people switch off? Yeah. And I help people with that too. It might look like scheduling, like you can write the emails, but maybe you just save them in your outbox or maybe you schedule them to send at regular working hours. This is the sort of thing that I work on with people, right? It's like, How do we find this balance for ourselves, but also think about how mentally and emotionally that might impact others? And more virtual and global our world gets, the more we need to be having these conversations. Exactly, because you're trying to put those boundaries on meeting times or email times. But like you say, with a 24-7 world, that can be really challenging. Yeah. And I work with teams too, sometimes that work across different time zones. It's like you have to be able to respond at certain times, but then how do you make time for wellness in your day? So it really depends on the workplace and the organization and the people and their roles. So what's one behavior change you would recommend for working mums? Let's do both working mums and companies since you've got so much experience in both places. And again, we haven't talked so much about the working mum experiences of people going through your programs and the kind of additional challenges they face. So again, feel free if you want to add more about that. But yeah, let's look at these behavior changes you think working moms and companies can really start to think about today? Okay, great. Let's talk about mothers first. And I know that challenge well, and I won't even pretend that I have it perfectly figured out now because I do not. (laughs) I genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, believe that the single most important thing working mothers can do is the mindset shift to put yourself first. You have to be able to prioritize your own well-being in your days and weeks. And I think that a lot of women working mothers um, struggle with this. And there's a few reasons for that. Many of us have been taught to put others first and our days are filled with commitments to others and our own needs often get pushed to the back burner. And if we are going to be a well version of ourselves, if we are going to avoid burnout, we have to be able to make time for ourselves in our days. And there's a bunch of pieces to that, but the initial piece is changing our minds um, around that and believing that this is something that is good for us and prioritizing it 
no matter what. And then from that comes the daily work and the commitment to actually do it. But the mindset has to come first, because if you don't believe that you are worthy or deserving of that, it's really difficult to make the behavior shifts. And I don't even know if you would consider that to be a behavior change, but That's the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about moms. It's have to believe it first. But I think that's what you're saying. It's belief, but it's also that commitment to that belief. Because even just yesterday, I was at a birthday party with my daughter out in the park. And one of the kids was saying, mom, can we stay for this, that or the other? And I could hear that poor mom going, I just want to go home and take a break. And it's so hard, right? You've got this kid persuading you that the best thing is for them to have more time at a party or add an extra thing onto this party. And I do, I think it's so hard because to me, I feel like in some ways I can set easier boundaries in the workplace because our colleagues take no for an answer. Not always. I definitely had to learn to say no three times sometimes before somebody heard it, but they're not doing these emotional manipulations. So it depends on the workplace, but I think it's really hard. It is. Yeah. And I also believe genuinely that in the moment it might feel challenging, but that if we can show and demonstrate to our children what it looks like to look after ourselves, I think that's a really powerful thing as well. Then they grow up understanding that this is an important part of self-care and well-being. And I think it is hard for kids to hear that too, because even having that conversation in our family recently, and I was like, look, moms and dads need breaks from each other too. And it's that sense of how do you describe that you need a break from the people around you without it seeming like that you don't want to be with them. It's challenging. I think if you have older children and they are used to you catering to your needs, that'll be challenging. I've tried with my children from a really young age to communicate. Nope, this is my time now. And I'll come back to you and be more present and understanding later. But These are the sorts of things that we can work on one-to-one as well, just in terms of figuring out and practicing. And children will give you that guilt trip too. They want to be the center of the universe. We can find that balance. We can absolutely find that balance. And like you say, it's practice because they'll come at you with a similar strategy each time. So you can usually get good at working out how to defend your space, I suppose. Yeah. And it will be easier for some than others. And then companies today. So that was a good one for mums. Thank you. I think I maybe already mentioned what I think the big behavior change for companies is, and it's the culture, right? The real culture change, I think, comes when leaders are educated on and supportive of mental health. And in my experience so far, the companies that are doing the best in addressing mental well-being in the workplace, they don't just have great wellness programs. They have leaders who are actively supporting mental health, whether that be through implementing training throughout the workplace, like we've spoken about, or being open about their own mental health experiences and speaking openly about mental health. Again, not just a checkbox on a list. Um, a real culture shift around supporting mental well-being. 
And I think that's the real key. That's the real kind of first step around making lasting impact and change for organizations. Great. And do you think that does work as a first step in terms of then making it safe for others to talk about mental health at work? I think it can. And I think it works if it comes from a genuine place. And that's a big piece of psychological health and safety is that people have to believe that it's real, right? And that takes time, right? It's not just a, yep, we support mental health now. It's by doing rather than just saying. Thanks so much for listening today. Don't forget to check out my website, www.drjacquelinecurr.com for your free guides to prevent burnout. And please remember, burnout can be related to serious health problems. If you're experiencing physical or mental health symptoms, please contact a health provider or call the appropriate helpline. This podcast does not replace medical advice. Take care. Control, you're a fighter. Push the limits and see it. You're already there. Told you we going higher. Ain't no stopping us. We're going in for the win. And we're gonna celebrate. Then we're gonna do it all over again. And we're gonna rock this place. Cause this is our day. Feel the power Everything that you need